Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Susan. Hi, I'm Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm very honored and privileged to be here. I've been to this meeting many times, but I haven't spoken, so thank you. Um, my top weight was about uh, 100 pounds more than I am right now. I'm not sure exactly. I came in these rooms 26 years ago. And um, the reason I don't know is because before I hit 200, I stopped weighing. Um, I knew that I couldn't do anything about it anyway, and it just depressed me. So I stopped and uh, gained more weight after that, and I don't know how much it was. So I don't know if I qualify as a 100-pounder or not. But I was very big. I meant to bring my picture, and I forgot. Um, I started overeating when I was very young. Uh, certainly when I was eight, I was binging. And um, uh, when I and then in my teens, I was dieting and binging and dieting and binging and did that for the next decade or so. So um, I, I don't know if as a compulsive overeater I was made or born, and it doesn't matter. I am one. And uh, when I eat certain things, things I can't stop eating them. So that's all I need to know. I do know that I had a hard time dealing with feelings, and uh, when my parents were divorced, that's when I started binging, and when my father died when I was 10, that's when I started getting fat. And I also started going on diets, so, you know, it was just a wonderful combination of things to um, make my life be about food, weight, and body size. It was just so much easier to have my life be about food, weight, and body size than dealing with what was really going on in my life, and I just didn't have the skills to, to deal with what was going on. So um, I, I, when I was eight, I stole $20 worth of candy, and uh, that was when candy bars were 10 cents a bar, and <laughs> a lot of candy, and got in a lot of trouble for it, and I was a good little girl, and uh, I stole again and got in more trouble for it. So I was an addict at the age of eight. And that's actually really helpful for me because there have been times in my life where I've been encouraged to just think of it for me as an, as, uh, as an emotional eater and I just need to not go into the shame spiral and if I don't go into the shame spiral, then I won't compulsively overeat. And I would love for that to be my answer. And I've tried to make it my answer in these rooms. Uh, but uh, that's just not what how this body recovers from compulsive overeating. So if I remember that I started doing this when I was eight years old before I knew anything about guilt and shame and, and you know, good or bad, I didn't know it was good or bad what I was doing. I just knew I felt better when I did it. So I continued to do it throughout my teen years and college years. Um, at my worst, I was, well, at my worst, I had dropped out of college. Nobody knew it. I pretended I was going to school and just went in and out of places all day long. I couldn't keep my waitressing jobs. I couldn't keep my alcoholic boyfriends. Um, I crashed my car and I went to jail and I ended up being homeless. That's where this disease took me. I don't have, uh, I've never been drunk. I've never been high. Um, I, I had what I needed. I had my way out. I found it when I was young, so I didn't experiment with other things. 
Uh, and I was a good girl, so I, I call this the good girl disease. You can you can still look good, um, not so much physically. So I tried everything there was to try. Uh, the doctors put me on diets when I was ten, and I did tops, Weight Watchers, um, Atkins, Jenny Craig, Pritikin, uh, and then I eventually stopped dieting. I knew that dieting meant that I was going to gain weight. I would lose weight, but then at the end of the process, I was going to gain more weight. So I just stopped that and started more sophisticated ways of recovering from compulsive overeating. And I went to groups. I went to um, group therapy, and I was in group therapy for bulimics. Um, I haven't thrown up, and I haven't over-exercised, but uh, I, I consider myself a bulimic because I, it's it's the good girl, bad girl, good girl, bad girl, good girl, bad girl, you know, the the binging the dieting, the binging the dieting, for me, that's a form of bulimia, and I related to how the bulimics were talking about eating. Did that help me to not eat compulsively? No, it didn't. I also did a lot of therapy, which has been very valuable, and it's helped me in abstinence, but it never helped me to stop eating compulsively. Let's see, I did uh, Fat is a Feminist Issue. I did um, (laughs) Diets Don't Work. I love Diets Don't Work. That is... um, Eat what you want and stop when you're satisfied. <laughs> you know, I actually know when I'm satisfied, but it never stopped me. I never had the ability to stop. And uh, in my early recovery, I used to say I, my, my choice maker was broken. You know, people would say, you have a choice. I'd say, I, it's broken. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I start in this. It's going to go to the bitter end. So I would... Uh, I would not go to school, and then I would come home. Uh, I would buy some stuff, wait until everyone went to sleep, eat it. Still didn't, still hadn't eaten enough. Still wasn't fixed. Still didn't, you know, still wasn't, hadn't found the right thing. So then I went out and bought some more stuff and um, kited checks and stole money out of pockets to buy some more food. And again, I went in and out and in and out, and I knew what was open late, what uh, opened early. (laughs) You know, at 3 o'clock I could go get that. I knew what was fresh and warm and gooey and where. And that was my life. Um, And I I remember, I I don't know if I believed in a higher power, but I said a prayer. I said, if this is going to be the rest of my life, take me now. I, I don't want this to be the rest of my life. And I fully expected to go off the freeway. Uh, and I didn't. And so I thought, okay, it's not going to be the rest of my life. And shortly after that, I found my way into these rooms. I actually was trying to get into uh, an eating disorder unit, and uh, my my insurance didn't cover it, and they recommended OA. And I thought, oh, really? Uh, and so I came, and you've heard it before, you were speaking my language. Uh, I knew I was home. I absolutely knew I was home. This was not a little problem you had with food. You weren't telling me to modify my behavior. It wasn't my mom's fault. It was, you know, it was, it was life or death. And I was dealing with something uh, chronic and fatal. And uh, I really needed to hear that because I hadn't heard from other people that they were doing what I was doing. Even in a room like this, it just is so, as you were all walking in, I thought, they all have the same problem with food that I do. That is so sorry for you guys, but that is so great. <laughs> so great for me. Um, so when I got here, I was willing to do whatever you told me to do. Uh, and I thought a lot of it was really bizarre. 
mostly you told me to call other people, and uh, I was very willing to start working these steps just because I was so desperate. For me, it wasn't even about my weight, although I was very heavy. Uh, I just didn't want to be in the hell that I was in anymore. And I'm very grateful that I had this low, low bottom uh, because I know that's where it's going to take me. And it helps me to remember. There was a slogan that we used to hear a lot in the 80s called Remember When. And uh, it's really important to remember when, remember what it was like. So I have a little snapshot in my head to know where it's going to take me. And that is I will end up on the living room floor, not really with my pants unbuttoned, drinking water in an effort to feel better. And the minute I'm not stuffed, I'm going to want a little more because 20 minutes later I will have forgotten what I felt like 20 minutes before. So I just keep that in my head when the food calls. And sometimes sometimes it still does. So I, I started working the steps, and um, I came in in January of 86, and I was absent when I went home for Christmas, and uh, I couldn't believe what hit me. I just So for the first Christmas in my life, I was awake and present, and, and I was feeling. So that was, um, that was new to me. There was a reason I was overeating. I didn't like being in reality. And a lot of recovery for me still is about living in reality and acknowledging what's real. And it was very painful to acknowledge what was real in early recovery. And I had a lot of wreckage that I needed to clear up. So what I discovered that year was that my family thought that I was stupid, overly emotional, overly sensitive, and ugly. They always they always thought that. The difference was I always believed it. And then I, I was there. It's like, how... How can they think that about me? Where did they get that? And working through that was quite a process. So when I got home, my sponsor suggested writing a fourth step, and I started writing like a crazy woman. The first column was really easy. They did this and they did that and they did this and they did that. (laughs) You know, it's the third column is the hard part and my part, and it was, even if it's just a little small part, sometimes for me it's just the belief. It's the belief they, the belief I took away from it. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm overly emotional. And instead, those things, to me, uh, being, I don't think of myself as overly emotional. I think of myself as deeply sensitive, and that's a gift. That's very different than overly emotional. Um, uh, let's see. So then I, I continued with the steps and had a spiritual experience. My, I like to say my family changed, but uh, they didn't. I did, of course. And the truth is, when I change a little bit, everything around me has to change, too. Uh, I, I started having boundaries. I started setting limits. I started saying, ouch. I started having opinions. Um, I started taking up space. My disease was about not taking up space. My disease was about keeping myself small to make them comfortable. Um, they don't like feelings. They don't like opinions. They don't like passion. They don't, you know, and that's how I came out. So um, so I overate to make them small. I'm not, for me personally, I'm not a big believer in I eat food to, to for comfort. I eat food to make everybody else comfortable. And I eat food to punish myself. You know, God forbid I should feel this way. God forbid I should think this way or say this or have an opinion or take up space. 
take up a lot of space. So, you know, my body took up space instead of my heart and mind. So my recovery has been about knowing what I know, seeing what I see, hearing what I hear, and saying what I have to say. And, um, you know, sometimes that makes people uncomfortable. And my recovery is, so what? <laughs> they, they can live with it. And if not, they can go away. <laughs> I can also remove myself from any situation. So if, I, if I'm in a situation that doesn't feel safe, then I, I need to check in and see what I can do to take care of myself. So in one of these rooms in Los Angeles, I heard someone say, um, it's self-care or die. And I really took that to heart. It's it, it, literally... If I don't take care of myself, I'm going to die. That's what happened. I was on my way to dying. I absolutely was on my way to dying. So, um, you know, I can either move forward in my recovery or back in my recovery. And and every day I want to make a choice to move forward. And that means taking care of myself. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to take care of myself when it's going to hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. But that's... That's what I have to do because killing myself off with food is not going to help anybody. So uh, I allow myself to take up space and actually encourage myself to take up space. And that's one of the reasons I love speaking, too. You know, it gives me a voice and allows me to tell my story. So what keeps me abstaining is the desire to be clear. I... um, I couldn't function. I just couldn't function when I was overeating. I, I told you where it brought me, and that's because I was in a food fog. I had no clarity. I couldn't make decisions. I had no guidance for my life. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have a compass. I never knew what was true north. Uh, and now, abstinent, I know what's north. I know it. People talk about the still, small voice, but for me, it's a big, screaming voice in my head that says, this is how to do your life. <laughs> it's like, I don't think so. I'm putting stuff in my mouth for the tape. Um, I don't always want to know the answers. I don't always want to know what would be the best way to do my life. That's when I'm getting into my will. My will got me into homelessness, alcoholic boyfriends, jobs I couldn't keep, and jail. So, and the reason I got into jail is because I couldn't function and I wasn't paying attention to tickets and I, uh, I had a warrant out for my arrest and I didn't, I didn't put new tags on. <laughs> that's, like, that is, that's because I couldn't think and I couldn't function. Um, so, my goal is to stay present no matter how much it hurts to be in reality and to be awake. I don't want to go asleep. I don't want to make myself small. I don't want to kill off my spirit. And that always, not always, but it works for me more than wanting to lose weight. My disease of wanting to eat is much more powerful than my desire to lose weight. Every single time. No matter how much I like being thin, and I do like being thin, I like being high off of sugar better. And I really had to identify myself as an addict because there are wonderful people in this program whose recovery really is I can eat what I want and I need to eat what I want and stop when I'm satisfied and deal with what's making me eat. And like I said earlier, I really wanted that to be me and my recovery because then I can eat what I want. And I tried and tried and tried so many times and so many ways to do that with sponsors and 
therapists, and it was a very long, hard road for me to really admit I, I personally um, can't eat sugar or flour. When I eat sugar or flour, I want more. So, for instance, a few weeks ago, uh, I was in a meeting at work. Can, can we mention foods at this meeting? And uh, they had Girl Scout cookies on the table. Well, I was a Girl Scout. I sold cookies and stole cookies and had a lot of Girl Scout cookies. So um, no one was eating them. And uh, I thought, I could have a few cookies. And then I thought, ding, 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 ding. No, you can't have a few cookies. Um, and I thought, well, I could have a sleeve. I could stop at a sleeve. <laughs> that would be okay. No, 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 no. You can't stop at a sleeve of cookies. You know you can't. That's not your experience. And I thought, I could have a box. <laughs> I'll stop at the box. That won't be horrible. pound or two maybe. It's like, no. <laughs> when did I ever stop at a box? This body never did. Then it would be the yogurt store and then it would be the grocery store and then it would be up all night until I'm stuffed and on the floor drinking a glass of water with my pants unbuttoned (laughs) and then I don't know what the next day would be like the other thing is sometimes I can get away with it or I think I get away with it and then the next day I think well I could eat that successfully so I'll eat it successfully today I'll have two And then the next day, I've still been successful with this, so I'll have it again. And before I know it, I'm in the sleeve. So uh, I don't get away with it, and this body cannot handle those foods. And one day at a time, my recovery is to remember that. Crazy as it seems, and as the big book tells me, I have this thing. And what I love about the big book is it doesn't try to tell me why. It just says 2 plus 2 equals 4. This time is not going to be different So all the stuff that I do, the going to meetings and sponsoring and service and fellowship and reading the literature is always, is all to remind me, this time is not going to be different. Because my disease is, this time is going to be different. This time I can handle it like other people. And I never have. I've never been successful in a donut shop. (laughs) Ever. Donuts for me, uh, it's like I'm sticking a needle in my arm. Um... The only time, I don't, you know, donuts aren't even that good. I just know if I want donuts, I want out. So then I have to ask myself, what do I want out of? And I, you know, my solution to everything was to overeat. So I had to learn solutions to all of, all of life, to loneliness, to boredom, to excitement, to, I mean, all the things that make up my life. I've had to find solutions, and I'm still finding those solutions. So, uh, for example, I, a few weeks ago, I wanted to overeat. In fact, I probably was thinking about Girl Scout cookies. They've been an issue this year. Every every spring, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. And um, I thought, okay, what do I really want? And I realized, well, I'm feeling kind of, I'm feeling kind of sexy. And uh, my husband was laying on the floor, and I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go lay down next to him. And uh, so I went into the bathroom. I came out, and he wasn't on the floor anymore. <laughs> oh darn! So. Um, so I went in and told him that I'd like to lay down with him and cuddle with him, and um, and we did, and it was very nice. And it was that was hard for me. So um, a lot of maintenance for me has been about you know my recovery is knowing what I know, seeing what I see, hearing what I hear, and saying what I have to say. Um, having a voice sexually 
is a challenge for me. That's what I've been doing recently, and I've been doing it because my solution is to my alternative is to be on the floor with my pants unzipped. So that's <laughs> 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 with a glass of water. <laughs> oh God, this is going up tape. So I'm trying to have a voice and take up space and ask for what I want, and that's hard work. And so I told my husband what was going on, that I wanted to eat, and I realized, you know, I was feeling kind of sexy and sensual, and I decided to do something about it. And um, he said, well, maybe that's just uh, a substitute for overeating. Like, um, it's just another fix, or it's another rush. I said, nope. All my life I've substituted food for sensuality because for me overeating is a sensual experience and when and god forbid i should feel sensual and that's a whole nother sensual or sexy that's a whole nother story i got a lot of really bad messages growing up and uh i just didn't want to feel any of that and i get to feel it now and be in my body and figure out and find out who i am as a woman and fortunately go on that journey with my husband who's also in program so uh, I just, I'm still finding out what I need and asking for guidance about how to do my life. Uh, somebody once talked about being abstinent as being a clear channel. And I've heard it referred to as like a crystal goblet. And some of you may have heard me say this before. So when there's a crystal goblet that's filled up with water, and you have, you know, when you put your finger around the rim of a goblet, and it rings. So if there's too much water in it, it goes. <coughs> that's being stuffed with, the, with my pants unzipped. If there's not enough water in it, it goes. <coughs> which I've also been. I heard a dear friend call it stark raving abstinent. <laughs> and uh, I've been there too, you know, and I couldn't sustain it. I could not just eat protein and produce. I could do it for a couple of years. And a couple of years seems like a pretty long time, but I needed something for the long haul. I can't eat sugar, sugar and uh, flour, but I'm, it's not just protein and produce for me. So I do eat some grains. And... Um, I didn't like being stark raving abstinent either. So uh, the perfect amount of food and being a clear channel is when the glass goes so that I'm a clear instrument, so that I can get guidance from my higher power and do my life. My life works because I can pay attention to the dance. Uh, another story I love, I was in uh, Coffee Bean getting a sugar-free something, which I don't drink anymore. You know, it's just, I heard someone speak a while ago, and there's something that she likes to eat, and so she plans for it, and and good for her. And she calls her sponsor and commits to it and has this little bit of it, and then she calls her sponsor when she's done with it, and then she calls her sponsor after she's eaten it for a couple of days, and I just thought, oh, God, I'd rather not have it. <laughs> you know, it's just like, ah. Uh. If it, if it takes up that much space in my brain and my life and my heart, I don't want it. I honestly don't want it. I hope to God I never put sugar in my mouth again because it's not worth it. There might be a time tomorrow when I think, you know, it might be worth it now. And then I have to, that's why I come to the meetings. That's why I'm here talking is to remember who I am. So um, 
So I was in the coffee bean and having this sugar-free thing, which isn't worth having anymore. And um, I'm recreating, looking at the case of stuff, uh, thinking, you know, just thinking, what would it be like if I could have those things? I don't recommend that. And uh, then it came into my mind, this time could be different. I could probably have one of those this time. Thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble. So I, uh, so I said the compulsive overeaters prayer, help. And um, I love, I love Frank Sinatra's music. And on the music system came, come fly with me. Well, fly with me is a thing. I felt like when I got here, I was in the gutter, and OA helped me get up out of the gutter onto the sidewalk. And then for a while. I've heard people say, actually, that the first 10 years are about clearing up the wreckage of your past, and the next 10 years are about accepting the good in your life. So, like, for those first 10 years, it's like, where are the promises? Where? (laughs) It was just sometimes really hard to be abstinent. And um, I wanted to fly. And up comes this song, come fly with me, come fly, come fly away. And that's my higher power saying, you can fly if you stay abstinent and stay out of that. You get in that, you're going to be on your... Living room with your pants unzipped. So uh, little things like that happened to me all the time, and it made me a believer in the higher power. Uh, when I got here, I was agnostic. On good days, on bad days, I was an atheist. And um, I still tend to be somewhat agnostic in that I don't know what's out there. For a long time, I acted as if. And, and that ended up not working well for me uh, because when the, when the chips were really down, I didn't really believe in what I was making up. So I heard on a tape to find out what it is you really believe in and then start with that. And so I thought, I, I don't know what I believe in, but I believe in something. I believe there's some kind of healing force in the universe. If I break my arm, something heals it. We have doctors who mend it put a cast on it, dressing on it, that's the steps, that's the tools. But there's some kind of healing force in the universe that heals it. I believe in that. And my goal is to stay clean and clear so that I can, I sound so lost, like such a Los Angeles person, so that I can vibrate with that, <laughs> with that energy. Um, I forget what I was saying. Oh, I really did. You guys, do you remember? <laughs> oh, what I believe in. Thank you. I always do that. So I, I still to this day don't believe in much more, except that I've had these profound, powerful, spiritual experiences. So I have chosen not to define my higher power. I don't. Uh, I don't know what it is. And it doesn't matter to me. So I've decided to live in the mystery rather than try to have the answers. And my life works. All I know is I get up in the morning and I, I do my 11th step. I do exactly what the big book tells me. Page 84 and page 85 tells me what to do. It tells me what to do when I get up in the morning. tells me what to do throughout the day. tells me what to do when I go to bed at night. And that's what I do. And I still do it. I still ask uh, for my, to please direct my thinking. Um, divorce me from self-pity, dishonest, self-seeking motives, show me all through the day what my next step is to be. And sometimes I'll pause throughout the day and ask, what is my next step to be? And sometimes it's bizarre. (laughs) It's like, really? (laughs) Okay. 
And it always works when I pay attention to it. And if I'm overeating, I cannot pay attention. So that's what keeps me abstaining. I have this wonderful life that I never dreamed I'd have. And it's not the life that I planned on. I'm not a big believer in mission statements um, and and having my own little plans and designs, they're called in the big book. Um, I ended up in a much better place than I ever dreamed with a man I wouldn't have normally picked and in the house that I love uh, in the job that's perfect for me. And I would have never known those things because I didn't know anything because I was overeating. So I was really taken care of. So, for example, sometimes it's just um, take a nap. And it's really, and so I've been known to lay down in my tiny little office at work uh, on the floor and take a nap because I'm too tired to go on without powering up with food. So, and also sleep is part of my abstinence. Um, it's sleep is really important to me. If I get tired, I'm powerless in the face of food. I, I really am, and so I just don't let myself get too tired. And people think I'm kind of funny about it, but they think I'm kind of funny about my food too. <laughs> and um, you know, they're not going to like the person I am when I'm overeating. So, and I'm not going to be any good to them as a worker. <laughs> so they may think it's weird, but it's in their best interest and my best interest to get my sleep. Um, anything else I want to talk about? So what I've always done is make, in terms of abstinence, is make promises that I can keep. So at the beginning, that was like, I'm going to have three banquets a day. And my sponsor was absolutely fine with that because it was less than what I came in doing. Uh, She would have been fine if I had said, I'm going to have three donuts for breakfast, two pizzas for lunch, and some hot fudge sundaes for dinner. She would have been fine with that. Um, That's not a commitment I can keep because I cannot eat two hot fudge sundaes. That's, I just can't stop. So uh, so I have to know what commitments I can keep, and then I make those commitments. And that's what my abstinence has been for 26 years. Someone has known what's gone in this body. There have not been any secrets about what's gone in this body. Has it looked perfect? Absolutely not. Have I eaten sugar? Yes, I have. And what that means to me is there's a big red flag. I'm not a bad person. I haven't robbed a bank. I haven't killed someone. It means something is going on that i got to take a look at because I want out of reality. And uh, and so I know what to do. This is my big book. This is what I do when when that big red flag goes up. And I'm so glad that I have a barometer that tells me something's going on. You've you've taken a wrong turn. Get get back. Um, I'll I'll, I'll finish with this. Uh, my my sponsor also told me that the the dirty little secret of abstinence is that sometimes it really hurts and she was very helpful in helping me be gentle with myself and just knowing that I, you know these I'm going to feel it's going to hurt sometimes I'm going to be uncomfortable and my is it mantra or mantra it's both isn't it mantra. mantra my mantra most of the time is can I stand it it's like yeah I can stand it Almost all the time I can stand it. I remember I was watching something recently. I was really bored and started thinking about food. It's my knee-jerk reaction. And I realized, okay, what's going on? I'm really bored. Can I stand it? Yeah, I can stand it. And then, the, you know, the food idea is gone. So she compared it to sticking a knife in your gut. You stick a knife in, and if you're not abstinent, it goes, <laughs> there's all this drama around it. And, and if you're abstinent, it goes in clean 
comes out clean, you feel it, but there, you don't have a million other problems with it, and you're still headed walking in the right direction. I haven't taken a wrong turn. So 26 years later, I am still working this program like my life depends on it because it does, and my life works, and I have an incredible life because I work this program. And this book tells me that I have a design for living that really works in the, in the rough times and the good times, and that is what I have, and I'm so, so grateful I found these rooms. Thank you. So I guess there's a little time for questions. Can I talk about my spiritual practice and how it's evolved going from... It's very funny the way you said that. From an atheist agnostic to a pure agnostic. (laughs) Yeah, um, my sponsor told me to act as if. And I did act as if for a couple of years. In fact, I made it my higher power, and she was female, and her name was Patsy, because if she had a voice, she would sound like Patsy Klein. Um, and it just, you know, I had a lot of issues with men, so it helped me to think of my higher power as a female. And, um, you know, then I had some spiritual, some real spiritual lows, which included overeating. And um, I couldn't do life without food. And I realized this higher power isn't working for me. And people would say, fire that higher power and get another one. Well, then I was just going to be making up another one. So once again, the universe took care of me by putting that tape in my life. I was listening to tapes in cars at the time. And, and the speaker said, you have got to have a higher power that you believe in. When the chips are down, you have got to believe in whatever it is that you believe And it actually hasn't changed a lot since then. I just decided I believe in something. And and ever since then, I've never never tried to define it. Uh, A girlfriend of mine who is religious, the elitist in me a a long time ago, thought, that is the stupidest religion. (laughs) How can this smart woman believe in that mythology? And she said, you know, it's just an analogy for what I can't understand, Susan. And I thought it was so wonderful. You know, all the world's religions have the same values, pretty much. And so does the the 12-step program. So I just choose not to have an analogy. Um, The closest that I can come to is George Lucas's force. That's sort of what I believe in. And um, if I plug into that, my life works. And I cannot plug into it if I'm not abstinent. So... um, I do a 10-step at night. I do an 11-step in the morning. I sponsor people. I do service. I've done service. I'm still doing service at my home meeting. Um, I've done regional service. I've done world service. Um, I am sponsored. Uh, I, I just do everything that the program tells me to do. I don't have to do as much of it as I used to unless I'm struggling, and then I go right back to basics and and do it all. So I don't try to complicate the program. It, for me, it really is all in the big book, and it's very straightforward. It talks to me like the addict that I am. You know, it just goes, like, do this. <laughs> and that's what I do. Can I talk about going through the process of forgiving myself for everything I did in my life before I was abstinent? Yes, in my amends, in the ninth step, I included myself. In, in make, I made amends to myself, and how I did that was I wrote letters to either Susie, who's the little girl, or Sue, who's the teenager, or Susan, who's the adult. And I also did this with uh, the other people in my life. I write letters to them apologizing 
until I mean it. And they, I let them write back to me, and I try, I end up getting to see their side of the story, like how they might have, how they might have done what they did, or how I did what I did, until I get to compassion, and then I, then when I write, I forgive you. I really have forgiven them, and sometimes I'm weeping and sobbing and crying when I'm doing that process, and that, that's all the stuff that I ate over. So when I'm letting go of that stuff, I, I really believe I'm letting go of pounds. I also had some grieving to do. I lost a lot of my life to this disease. I've lost days, weeks, months, and years. To, and it could be that I lost the career I wanted to this disease. But you know what? I'm alive now. I'm fully awake and fully present now. And that's more than some compulsive readers have. So I try to stay on the, the gratitude side. The question is, uh, how do I remember that this time won't be different. Um, the idea of remember when. How do I remember? I don't always. And that's why I've had a spiritual experience. Because things, you know, come fly with me, came, came up. Um, someone will call me at just the right time. I'm in the grocery store and I run into an OA person. And those things have made a believer out of me. Um, also, the big book tells me to pause. And so I, when I get this idea that this time will be different, this time I can handle it like a normal person, I pause and say, please, please direct my thinking. And that's when I sometimes get really strange things. So today, uh, it wasn't about food, but I said, please direct my thinking. I had all these things that I wanted to do. And I was, what's my next step? Go make lunch and then go, go to where I was going to go. So I, but I have five things I want to do. No, go make lunch. So pausing, again, tells me how to do my life, and it gives me what I need to remember. I personally am powerless to remember, so I rely on working my program to help me remember. I did. I did. And the big book talks about that, too, you know, that um, some days we may get absurd ideas and and act on them. um, I think it's a muscle that we work out that with practice gets better and better. Usually, for me, it's the first thing that comes into my head, and like I said, it tends to be a pretty big, clear voice. When it's clear and when it's fast, I know what to do. And sometimes it's not. There have been things that I've prayed for for a couple of years or more, and finally, when I get clear on it, I act on it. Um, I do talk to my sponsor. Have I? Of course I've done things that were crazy. Of course I've done things that... You know, even when I first got absent, I was telling everybody how I felt about everything all the time. (laughs) And it's like, my feelings are for me. Not everybody has to know how I feel about everything all the time. And I was very awkward, and I did things not very graciously a lot of times. But um, through the years, that's that's really changed. I really trust that inner voice now, and I just do what it tells me to do. Because if it's a higher power to me, that is more energy than the universe. It's more energy than the sun. It's more energy than a nuclear bomb. And if that energy is giving me guidance, who am I to say, I don't think so? Okay, I'll do it. I'll take the nap. I'll make the lunch. I'm not going to try and add any more to it. I'll ask my husband to snuggle. Whatever you tell me to do is what I'm going to do. And I see that my time is up. So thank you for letting me share.